Welcome to the Essay for FA's Asset Allocator Podcast, a series that addresses issues of current interest to financial advisors, including ETFs, asset allocation, and the economy. I'm your host, Gil Weinrich of Seeking Alpha, and our topic today is the presidential pardon of Michael Milken. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, this message. If you're a financial advisor, you should be using Seeking Alpha Premium. I'll mention just two items I personally think are valuable for advisors. Number one, advisors typically get investment research from their own broker-dealer, and it's good to cross-reference that with the research available to Seeking Alpha Premium subscribers. Number two, the quantitative ratings available to premium subscribers are an incredible value-add because they make it possible to compare investments with mutually consistent data. In other words, it aids in getting different investment ideas to talk to each other, as it were. These features are just the tip of the iceberg, and it costs only $240 for an annual subscription. Click on Upgrade on the top right of your Seeking Alpha homepage to see a full list of benefits and options. In pardoning financier Michael Milken on Tuesday, President Trump has taken a significant step to correct a historical injustice. Milken's reputation in the world of finance rests on two main elements, although these elements can be expressed in two different ways. To his detractors, he was the villain who brought us junk bonds. To his supporters, he mainstreamed high-yield debt. To his detractors, he unleashed corporate raiders who stripped companies of their assets, fired their employees, and laughed all the way to the bank. To his supporters, he innovated means of raising capital to facilitate the redeployment of poorly allocated assets in order to build businesses and create jobs, a process known today as private equity financing. As you can hear, I'm simply describing the same things in two different ways, but the activities are the same. So one side in this debate, the side that one, quote-unquote, chose to see Michael Milken as an exploiter. Those who supported Milken saw him as a great innovator. What were derided as junk bonds, for example, are today a mainstream mom-and-pop product that has provided higher yields for those willing to take higher risk and which has enabled countless corporations to obtain the financing needed to stay in business and maintain jobs. Ditto for private equity financing, which besides facilitating restructurings that made more efficient use of company resources, also became a rather conventional form of alternative investment for college endowments, pension funds, and even mom-and-pop investors through their financial advisors. But it was not always seen this way, most especially in 1990, when Milken was sentenced and imprisoned in a media and cultural environment that had loudly dubbed the just-finished 1980s as the decade of greed. This was always silly, Studies have revealed that the 1980s saw an explosion of philanthropy, which makes sense as capitalist successes made it possible to give more. But returning to Milken, who by the way appears to have devoted his life to charitable causes, particularly in the realm of medical advances, the junk bond and corporate rating accusations seem little connected to the tiny technicalities he was ultimately charged with. I've tried in the past to understand these charges, but have never succeeded. Here's one of them as described on the Wikipedia page bearing his name. I quote, Agreeing to sell securities to a customer and to buy those securities back at a real loss to the customer, but with an understanding that he would try to find a future profitable transaction to make up for any losses. End quote. I'm not saying there isn't some technical violation in that, but I'm not convinced that he thought he was committing a crime when doing that. 
None of the charges stand out to me as the sort of thing we saw in the equity analyst scandal of the noble 90s, when analysts gave positive ratings on stocks in return for lucrative investment banking business, a period replete with nauseating evidence of these analysts maintaining much more negative views on the companies in their private email correspondence. My point here is that if the charge is not clear, if an ordinarily sophisticated observer can't immediately grasp the crime or ethical breach involved, it's the prosecution that I would question. Indeed, I find it notable that in Judge Kimball Wood's sentencing guidelines, she estimated a total loss for Milken's crimes of $318,000, which was a far cry from the $4.7 million estimated by the government prosecution, and which, in the world of high finance, is a rounding error, hardly worth the trouble of the man who at the time earned the highest income on record, approaching $1 billion over a period of four years. But even the wealthiest man in the U.S., who can afford the most expensive lawyers, is simply no match for Uncle Sam, who commands the resources of the entire population of the world's wealthiest country. This is something that bears great contemplation. Once, about 10 years ago, or a little less, I happened to find out about charges the SEC had filed against the son of somebody I personally knew. My acquaintance was one of the wealthiest persons in a very wealthy community. I knew him because of a common philanthropic cause to which we were both connected. He literally devoted his life to this cause, giving millions. As best I could tell, his business was merely an adjunct to his charity, its existence a means to fund it. Now, I know nothing about the incidents underlying the charges, whether his son was innocent or guilty, which is not my point here in any case. What I can say is that my acquaintance, despite being a millionaire with access to the best lawyers, understood that the best course of action was to reach a settlement with the SEC. It's simply not easy to fight the government. In Milken's case, the entire apparatus of SEC and state prosecutors were prepared to fight him with virtually unlimited taxpayer resources at their disposal. What's more, Milken's firm, Drexel Burnham Lambert, whom he made rich, couldn't bear the reputational cost of having its name blackened by the SEC and was prepared to cut him loose. That's an ironic aspect of greed for you. When justice is too costly big business will throw you under the bus. Apart from the injustice to Michael Milken, what does this matter to you and me? I'd put it to you this way. In the 30 years since Milken's sentencing and banning from the financial industry, what new financial innovations have not taken place? In the past 30 years, have you ever lost a job? Or were you or a friend or family member unable to find a job for a spell of time? What job was not there waiting for you because one of the rare financial innovators was barred from the financial industry? GDP growth was quite high in the decade of greed, up a whopping 7.2% in 1984 alone and in the 3 and 4% ranges most of the other years. Economic growth was far slower in the subsequent three decades. Criminalizing innovation, as the prosecution of Michael Milken accomplished, not only took a financial genius out of commission, but sent a signal to other would-be innovators not to be overly creative, as it might be interpreted by careerist prosecutors as an opportunity to demagogue their way to high office. Capitalism, for all its flaws, offers the benefit of generating advances in many fields and producing profit. Those whom it enriches can even use their wealth for philanthropic purposes, as Milken has done, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Now that is a high yield. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast of value, I would be much obliged if you would pass it on to other advisors to keep this FA project growing. 
Also, feel free to contact me at gil at seekingalpha.com with any feedback. This is Seeking Alpha's Gil Weinrich.